Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Gigabit Nation. Uh, our next guest today is Matt Larson, who is the um, owner, uh, operator of Vista Beam, and he's been in this business for a while. So it's great to have uh, a knowledgeable person to talk some more about telehealth and um, and what it means in rural communities. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. Looking forward I, to visiting. Yeah, it's probably actually back again, um, which is good because you're always my go-to person on many things rural. So, um, so for the audience folks who um, may not know, what is a wireless ISP? And why are they crucial to bringing broadband into uh, rural communities? So wireless ISPs typically are using some kind of fixed wireless technology to deliver broadband. Uh, And the thing that's really important about wireless ISPs or WISPs, as they're kind of commonly called, is that they tend to fit into areas where there hasn't been either areas that are very very either unserved or have been very underserved by uh, regular ISPs. And mm-hmm. that's how a lot of us got our start, especially in rural areas. You know, I, I started out in a rural area where there was uh, very, very little or no access to broadband and basically just started building out from there and going into places where uh, there was demand. And, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a couple thousand other operators like me all around the, the United States, actually all around the world. Uh, there are places in uh, there are places in the world where fixed wireless is actually has higher market uh, penetration than anything else. Um, but it's it's great technology. The the best part about being a, a WISP is it's kind of a regulatory bypass. You don't have to deal with a lot of the things that have to do with right away and uh, a lot of the other roadblocks and incumbents typically put up to try and keep competition out and. Uh, you know, the technology is very inexpensive and flexible and able to be deployed in places where uh, most other options are either uh, just it t- it's going to take too long or it just isn't economically feasible. So I, I think WISPs play a really important role in uh, addressing the digital divide. I, the best characterization I've heard in a while is the new uh, WISPA CEO, David Zumwalt, basically said we're the first responders on the front lines of the digital divide. Interesting, indeed. Now, one of the things that has always, um, you know, caught my attention about the list is that um, if you want really good service, right, you have a company where there's not a whole lot of people between the executive and you, the customer, because I think that when I look at all the different WISPs I have met in time, um, you know, they run lean operations, but they are severe, intensely um, customer-oriented, and I think that that's what you need, especially in the rural areas, because there's just so much with the terrain and support working against you that having a group of folks who will go the extra mile in my book, is a big is a big deal. Oh yeah, I mean that's one of the things is that uh, when you uh, 
WISP generally don't have anything given to them. So we kind of have to earn everything that we get. Mm -hmm. And taking customers or taking really good care of customers is the best way to uh, basically to get and then keep somebody is by treating customers with respect and uh, trying to meet their needs, number one. Uh, you know, th this is something that's been going on. When I, fir when I first started uh, my first ISP in 97, uh, the local ILEC had about 40 or 50 local employees, like within, mm -hmm. a, within about a 30-mile radius. And they were kind of a vital part of the community, uh, you know, taking care of telephone service, building, uh, you know, they, they, they did, uh, you know, the high-end communications between, you know, hospitals and towns and selling business phone systems. And within about six, seven years, they ended up just being gutted. So now you have all these empty central office buildings and just a skeleton crew of people that are assigned to cover this huge geographic area. And they just gutted it, you know, when, when uh, bigger corporations came around and started buying up uh, some of these rural ILEC operations, uh, it, they just took people out of the communities and took away the support. Everything turned into a call center. If you wanted to get some help, it just got to be a longer and longer wait because there were mm -hmm. fewer service people. Right. Uh, and the, I, I, I think companies like mine really stepped into that void and to provide that service that basically was taken away. You know, you used to be able to get pretty good service from the phone company and it just got, you know, maximized for profit and minimized for service. And I think that's, that's, you, you see a big difference in that. I, I know I, I would, I, I try to treat customers the way I want to be treated and, mm -hmm. you know, to, you know, I, I want to have a sustainable business. So we want to charge a fair price without being, uh, extravagant about it and balance it out by having enough people to actually take care of the customers. That is really, really challenging thing to do. But uh, we've reached a point where we've, we've kind of gotten over the hump. And I know my company and there are many other companies like mine uh, around uh, the U.S. and around the world that have made that step beyond that struggle of being able to try and take care of everything to, to reaching a point where we're taking really, really good care of our customers. And I think that's wisps that make that jump, I think are going to be very successful. Gotcha. So now there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of talk uh, from people who probably haven't thought about broadband, you know, before the pandemic. Um, when you got, a broadband network, right? You have the cables and the modems and the routers and so forth. But I sense that there's more to a successful broadband deployment, uh, deployment uh, than just the, the physical wires. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, uh, broadband deployments have a life of their own. Um, there are, are so many different circumstances that uh, come into effect, you know, demographics of the area and the people that you're serving, um, what kind of resources are available. Uh, when you're doing uh, fixed wireless, you kind of can put together this hodgepodge of different things. You know, we have 
we have gear on towers, we've got gear on water tanks, grain elevators, that sort of thing. And it all kind of customizes to the community. And that, that kind of makes every, every deployment kind of have its own life. You know, we, we can offer, uh, you know, higher speeds in certain areas because we've got access to middle mile fiber. Uh, recently we've seen the cost of, you know, 10 gig fiber backhaul drop down to a, a pretty reasonable range. So we can really start pumping out some good speeds to end users, but then there might be, you know, another place a hundred miles away where uh, getting fiber is, is not feasible. And, uh, you know, we have to use other methods and may not be able to carry quite as much capacity into a place like that. Uh, so everything's kind of different. And then it, the customers are a little bit different too. Uh, we serve, you know, everywhere from people way out in the middle of nowhere, uh, might be on a fixed income and have limited uh, capacity on what they can, what they can afford. And then we've got other people that are in, uh, you know, other areas that have, they, they don't care. They will spend whatever they want to get the very fastest and most reliable internet that they can get. And so we have to kind of tailor everything. Um, the one thing uh, that I think comes up is, and I'll go back to like respecting the customers, is you really have to develop that relationship with the community. And I think good broadband deployments and companies are the ones that aren't afraid of competition and work to build a positive relationship with and respect their customers. Uh, you know, the bad broadband deployments are the ones that maximize profit and strive for monopoly with a uh, little regard for their customers. So the, that's, that's, I think, you know, the, the soul of a broadband deployment is right there basically in that relationship between uh, the company and the customer and using whatever tools are available to try and, uh, you know, provide the service that's needed. So now if we're talking um, telehealth, right, we're basically talking about uh, there needs to be some players in there who are probably not familiar with broadband, but um, in, in, in general terms, why is the quality, well, yes, how, you know, why is the quality a big deal if you're providing uh, telehealth services? Well, I think telehealth, it, it represents this just a tremendous amount of potential utility and value for broadband deployments. Um, but it is, as it stands right now, it's very underutilized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think the, the need for quality broadband basically comes back to for most telehealth that we're talking about right now is going to be the ability to provide uh, a decent video stream between uh, the doctor and patient. But to really get it to the next level, I think we're going to have to come up with some kind of a telehealth killer app or a device that is going to be able to collect information. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to speculate here. This is based on some things that I've read and stuff that I, I'm not an expert on. So take that as, as you will, but mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've, you know, got the Fitbit tracker and used to have a, you know, scale and some other devices. We've got some like small scale devices that are able to report back, uh, you know, some data. 
with regard to it's it's more for fitness than telehealth but you could see that there could be a jump made to where you know if we had device a device that could sit at the at a customer's house that could collect you know metrics for fitness and metrics for health that's where i think the real big benefit of telehealth is because telehealth's biggest uh advantage i think would be in helping uh helping detect preventable things from happening before they happen right definitely and i i i read some stuff about some attempts to do things like that and um I think that that would just be fantastic if there was a way to, you know, if you had a machine that you could, you know, check in with every morning, it could be part, you know, you go in and you, you stick your finger in it and you stand on the scale or whatever, put a couple like, I don't know how I'd put the helmet on. I, I, don't, I don't even know <laughs> what the machine would look like, but if, if you had a way to go in and that could check vital statistics and look for markers, and then, and then that you could interface that with uh, your health professional to be able to look at a trend. That's one of the things we, we have all these things that we use to look at and monitor networks and we can see, we start to see issues before they come up so we can plan ahead. Uh, if we had a telehealth device or some kind of an application and collect this information and have it available to us as patients, but also to our healthcare providers, that's where I think we would start to see some huge, huge benefit from telehealth. What's crazy wonder, about that? I don't know if that necessarily, that device may not necessarily need to have uh, like a super high capacity connection either. I don't think that's the sort of thing it's going to need hundreds of megabits worth of capacity. So I, I think having a, having a reliable connection that uh, you know, devices can communicate on, I think is probably more important than having gigabit you know, to deal with it. So I, I think mm -hmm. that to really make telehealth work, I think we're gonna have to have some applications like that uh, to use what we already have as existing broadband uh, and then go from there. Right, so now every state is in the process of developing a digital equity plan. Right? That's a big focus of the government. How important is telehealth or how important can it be to the success of a digital equity plan? Well, I, I think my, the way I think it would make sense would be to start out by focusing on getting telehealth into some of these smaller communities to at least a location where people could come in and access it and then be able to uh, be able to kind of develop some trust and some familiarity with the process. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I think we're going to need to have facilitators. Um, you know, I, the, the phrase digital navigator has come up recently. Uh, yes. uh -huh. And I think, you know, we need facilitators that can help people access these, re these resources along with that killer app or a set of standard applications for telehealth, like I was talking about. Um, we need that to build that critical mass and the network effects to really make telehealth be successful. Mm -hmm. um, the other issue, and the reason I think we need to have a human component in there, uh, the facilitators and the navigators, um, is this needs to go beyond just an app. 
um, communities, especially a lot of rural communities, have trust issues with government programs. Mm -hmm. um, there's yeah. a certain amount of shame in asking for help. And a lot of people are a little bit too proud to do that or just don't know how to do it. Um, so we need to figure out how to make it more open and to have a human element to be like, it's okay, come in, we are here to help you sort of thing. And then uh, I think there's a need to coordinate scarce resources together uh, to get maximum effect for it. Uh, one of the things I found is when we start talking about uh, a lot of these social issue things uh, and digital equity is just, digital equity is just one component of a giant ecosystem of social services that, uh, you know, good societies use to help take care of, of, of people. And there is a real lack of coordination between a lot of these resources. So I think figuring out how to kind of provide that focus and make sure that there's ways for people to understand where to go. Uh, it's, it's confusing. <laughs> at times uh, to, to try and figure out how to, how to navigate a lot of those things. So we need to figure out how to kind of coordinate those resources together so we can get maximum effect. Yeah. And then especially when we start talking about uh, technology in a general sense, but then talking about technology that will have a specific uh, function that is an important one. I mean, if your heart pacer uh, crafts out on you, life can be a little rough. So having that uh, reliability, the part that you talked about earlier, um, and the navigator provides a, uh, the human aspect of the, um, you know, the whole program of reliability, I would think. Yeah. I, I mean, and it's not, we're not trying to replace a doctor or anything. It's just to kind of provide somebody that can maybe, I think it's going to be important to have somebody that uh, people in the community are receptive to that they can go to with questions. So you can ask questions without, without judgment or without, uh, you know, any, you know, the, in, in a situation that, that, that people trust and, and with, with, uh, you know, a high degree of integrity. Right, right. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and that sort of seems to be the the idea that is driving uh, what you are calling uh, community empowerment centers. What what is this about, and uh, how does it fit in that old the idea of um, you know helping people in a in a not in a non judgmental way. So we've been working on this community empowerment center idea and the, the root of it was this desire to develop a closer bond with the communities that we serve. And it's really important to have a presence, as much of a presence as you can have in a community. Um, and, you know, that's, that's something I think most ISPs uh, struggle with mm -hmm. and, this is one of the things that we thought we could do. It's like, well, what could we do? Because we have, uh, we have a, a little bit of real estate. We've got some buildings where, you know, we've got shops that we've got uh, our technicians working out of. And 
a couple of them have like empty office space up front or have office space and we you know people are in there some of the time and and not the rest of the time and so we're like well, let's let's use this space to do something productive mm-hmm. and you know we looked at there there are plenty if you look at like cell phone companies or mobile phone companies you know they have uh they have locations in a lot of these places and they're generally you know they have some sales people there that are barely trained to kind of read from a script and show you what phones are available but there's there's a presence but it's uh it's a minimal presence it's, and it's very focused on sales. And so we wanted to try and come up with something that was, could partially help with sales, but could also just help the community in general. So that's where we decided to try and figure out a way to train, uh, train people to be digital navigators and to be able to facilitate. And what we want to try and do is to be able to provide help with the the number one thing is the affordable connectivity program you know there's kind of a process to go through that to qualify for it and it's a little confusing for people so we're going to train our people to be able to walk walk somebody through the process of qualifying and find out if they can and then get them you know if they if they want to get a connection then we can uh get them hooked up you know our this being participates in acp uh, we've been promoting it almost exclusively for the last two, three months to try and get the word out to make sure people know about it and, you know, even push it with our existing customers so they know that they've got some options. So ACP is a big thing. We're also a Microsoft Airband partner, and Microsoft has all kinds of digital skill training that is available. So we've been trying to kind of make that available. And then we put in the idea of kind of providing this facilitated telehealth and the idea is that we're going to set aside a room, a private room for telehealth consultation so people can come in and there'll be a private room where our facilitator can come in and make sure they get hooked up and then leave the room and let them you know, have the rest of their uh, appointment. But they'll have a good you know, broadband connection that uh, with a video feed and privacy to be able to have their telehealth discussion there. And I, we're trying to do that to make it so uh, to kind of build that critical mass, you know, putting telehealth facilities at every person's house. That's a, that's a big ask and it's a long ways out. We should probably start by having one available in the community and see how it works and work through some of the, you know, whatever the glitches are going to be in doing it. Um, but that's the, that's the idea is basically to make it so that, uh, you know, digital resources are going to be accessible to people. We'll have a few workstations set up to where if somebody needs to come in and fill out, you know, paperwork online uh, for government programs, that they'll have a place that they can do it. Um, there's still a lot of people out there that their only way of getting on the internet is through their uh, mobile phone or going to a friend's house, you know, mm-hmm. to do something. So being able to come into a place where, you know, here's an internet connection, here's a computer, and we'll have somebody there that hopefully can help answer questions. The other part of it is we're going to try and train our, our digital navigators to be able to know what other community resources are available to refer people to. Um, we're not going to be able to solve every problem, but we hopefully we can help point point somebody in the right direction for help with whatever, whatever they might need and take care of all the digital uh, equity things that we can take care of on our own. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, was having a conversation earlier today, 
and uh, I, I brought up this idea um, of having people knowledgeable about not only the technology, but as you mentioned, you know, there are other uh, elements of the community so that when people can be directed to other folks, then that gives the, uh, that community person, you know, a really good feeling for, um, you know, for the technology. It's almost like, you know, you're working off, working out, working on in the door, you know, the outside to come in on the side door um, to where ultimately when they're done, um, they will hopefully have more comfortable uh, comfort with being able to uh, look at new technologies and other aspects of, of telehealth and also other options for, you know, just getting money and financial support for telehealth and broadband within a community. So, you know, what the library might do or what uh, the, the city council might do and so forth. So it, it, it's all part of a whole, you know, a bigger whole uh, picture than maybe just selling someone their internet connection. No, that, that, that's exactly it. And um, <laughs> as important as the internet is, there's a, uh, there's a, I'm going to give you an example of something. Um, and I, I, just to emphasize the connectivity between people. Mm -hmm. um, I used to say that my grandma was a, uh, she was like a primary node on the elder net because it seemed like she knew everyone. But I, I literally one time uh, I was on a, uh, I, I was on my on a on a trip, and I had a problem with my vehicle. I had a had a suburban and I had a trailer behind it, and I, I was we were supposed to be playing a band gig in this town, and uh, I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and and my starter quit working, or I, I couldn't get couldn't get it to start. And my grandma just happened to call to check in. And I, she's like, "Where are you?" And I was like, "Well, I'm here." My, my truck's broke and I can't, I'm supposed to be in, you know, this other town tonight to go play this gig. And she's like, where are you at? I'm, <laughs> I'm here. And she's like, she's like, all right, stay there. I'll call you back. And she called me back five minutes later and she knew somebody within 10 minutes, a guy showed up with a pickup truck, hooked up <laughs> to my trailer and took me to where I needed to go. And it was just somebody that my grandma knew and she made a phone call and he was right there. And so that, that connection is you, you don't Google that. You, know, <laughs> you, you need to have like the build these, uh, build these uh, connections between people. And we've lost so much of that. We have all these tools to build connections. And a lot of times it gets used to divide people up for the purposes of marketing or lobbying or forwarding political, uh, you know, political objectives. And I think trying to build, I, I just want to try and figure out how to build some more human connection between people in these communities and be able to, you know, help people out at a more, uh, more direct level than uh, just trying to figure out how much more profit we can make out of a, out of an area. I agree. I mean, I totally agree. I think that, um, you know, one of the conversations I had with a person at the uh, NTIA, the 
the, uh, the agency that's going to be doing or managing the $45 billion program and stuff. And I said, well, wouldn't it be really good rather than just have consultants come in and help people, you know, build a plan for their Internet and so forth, but to actually teach the people in the communities how to do uh, various tasks, such as uh, doing a needs assessment. What kind of needs do you have now that we have this program had uh, put in place? So we basically, what we're doing is we're building an infrastructure that is a social infrastructure as well as a technology um, infrastructure. I don't know, that may be strange, but I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I've served on uh, our economic development board here locally, and it seemed like every every five years or so, we would hire consultants to come in, and they would help build a vision of what we needed to do, and et cetera, et cetera. And the last time we had consultants come in, uh, you know, they like, you know, they take every, all the board, okay, what do you think we really need to have? And the first thing I said was, I'll tell you what I think we need to have. We need no more consultants. We know what our needs are. We know what needs to happen. Uh, we just need a local organization to step up and figure out how to address these issues and do a regular self-assessment and continue to handle this. We don't need, I don't need somebody from out of town to come tell me what our issues are. You know, I've had how many consultants drive through the town and it's like, oh, you got a bunch of broken windows here. You need some more businesses. You think? Well, of course we need some more businesses, you know, to come in and do this. It's like, how, what's, what's the plan to actually make that happen? So I'm, uh, I've done a lot of consulting myself and the, best part of the consulting gig is when the people I'm working with have enough skill or have developed enough capability that they don't need me anymore. Right. And instead of trying to, what we need to do is to figure out how to build a culture of resiliency and independence to where communities can develop the, the capacity to handle these issues on their own and to recognize and to, uh, continue progressing and maintain that progress and marking that progress over a long-term period of time. Uh, there's just too much of this stuff that feels really uh, short-sighted and not planned out very well. So, you know, I'm sorry, I, you, you got me on the soapbox on that one, but uh, that's all right. That's, I, you know, but I think that's a, that's a viable um, uh, approach because you know, consultants are basically, I mean, and I am a consultant, right? So I know what we're talking about. Right? We bring in and we come in and we say, you know, hey, this is how you should do it, right? But like Deb says, um, you know, that's not a good service for the community. If you want to build a good service, you know, if you want to build good uh, telehealth, right, you need, I think, to figure out how to um, train people that live there. Because I mean, if you have a heart attack, you know, you really want to have people that are kind of like near and dear to you, then, you know, because the consultant is going to be there. Yeah. So, 
you know, but I think, you know, and then this is the last, I guess the last comment, or you know, I want to get your last comment, but, you know, as we look at all of these billions of dollars, do we, are, are we running the danger of, um, you know, getting to the other side three, four years and say, oh, we did this wrong? You know, it's just like, ugh. You know, is that is that a danger for us? For this well, yeah, I think for one thing, the other side is probably more like 10, 12 years out. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody that thinks we can address all of our digital divide issues within the next four or five years, no way. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in fact, from what I've seen, the big federal programs, uh, we won't even see money flowing for probably another uh, another two to three years. Right. And especially when it comes to, uh, you know, a lot of the fiber-based networks, uh, you know, that stuff takes a really long time to get built. So I think we still have a 10, 12-year, it doesn't matter how much money we throw at it, there's just not enough. There's not enough labor, there's not enough material uh, to go out and address all of this in a short period of time. And I think that's what people just don't realize, you know, I, I built a fairly large business. Yeah, we cover we cover a huge geographic footprint. It's taken me almost 20 years to build that. Um, you know, to go out and and build all this infrastructure is is a huge lift. So, you know, I I think that uh, uh, trying to figure out how to meet needs now and then work our way through some of these some of these other issues is really important. Um, some of the risks that we run into right now, all this money that's coming into broadband, uh, I think there's actually some massive negatives to it that nobody talks about. Um, whenever you have a federal program that's putting money into an industry, you immediately see costs go up. So we've got supply shortages, we've got labor shortages. Um, we got people lining up thinking that, oh, there's all this money here. So this is going to be a huge deal. Uh, it's, it's going to hurt a lot of operators. You know, we've reached a scale where we can, we've been very successful participating in some of the government programs, but I don't know that we're necessarily going to, A, we may not be able to participate in some of these programs because they're going to have requirements and scale things that are going to make it very difficult for us to participate uh, or B we're going to get uh, uh, run over by somebody else that gets, gets a bunch of money to basically overbuild us. Um, and I'm, honestly, I'm not scared of getting overbuilt. I mean, I'll, I will give up my customers. Uh, if, if somebody's providing a superior service and taking care of customers, then I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stop them, but I'm not gonna roll over and play dead uh, right. either. <laughs> uh, and you know. and that with that, um, uh, this has been a great conversation, um, and I definitely look forward to having you back on the show as we move through all of this craziness and all of this money. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna be crazy. That's for sure. Uh, all right. Well, thank you again, Matt. I appreciate your time and your insights, and thanks a lot for, for, for being here. You bet, Craig. Thanks for having me.